0: Hello, you're very welcome to The Week That Really Was with John McGurk and Sarah Ryan. It is the 31st of August, 2023, and I am delighted to say that after three long, lonely weeks, you know, with the help of Connor Fitzgerald and Neve and others, uh, we got through it. But she's back. Sarah, how are you? She's back.
1: <laughs> yes, I'm good. How are you, John?
0: I am good. Um, did, you, did you die of the heat in Greece?
1: No, it was... 32
0: something like that. Cuz cuz back 3 weeks ago when you were heading off to Greece, I mean, I was legitimately afraid for your life. I was watching Orshi news uh, or watching other people watching Orshi news <laughs> and I thought, "Good Lord in heaven, this woman's going to come back in an urn to me." Um but no, you're no. back in back in one piece. You had a great time.
1: It was it was totally it was it was hot, don't get me wrong, but it was it was fine. It we had a ball. We had a great time. Um there was an earthquake one morning when we were having breakfast. There was a level five or whatever it was um a five on the Richter scale
0: earthquake what's that like yeah. like do, do you not if it's early in the morning and the ground starts shaking do you not just kind of think that you might be drunk like is there like, is, does it start <laughs> wobbling under your feet like what what how, What? i've never experienced an earthquake tell us about that
1: all right so it's my second so um you're a veteran it, I, i'm a veteran yeah i was in that earthquake in peru years ago um so um The thing that surprised me about, surprises me about an earthquake is I always imagined before I was in one that you would just be sitting there and then it would just start shaking immediately, like go from zero to the whatever the level is. But it's not really like that. It kind of starts like a rumbling. Mm -hmm. So my sister was sitting in front of me in this uh, cafe that we were in having breakfast and she described it really well that it kind of feels like there's a big truck rumbling up behind you. Uh at the beginning you're like what is this like what's where is this coming from and then you realize like the tables start to shake and everything starts to shake in front of you whatever but it's kind of slow and it wasn't that bad like it wasn't half as bad as the one I was in in Peru but the problem is is because it's slow coming you don't really know how Uh bad it's going to get you know what I mean um and obviously this time like I had the kids with me we were sitting in this kind of outdoor area but it had a canopy above so like everybody leaves like everybody gets up from the tables and everybody leaves from the restaurant and walks out into the middle of the road like there's no hanging around um, but uh, the kids are very excited to be able to go back to school tell people they're in an the earthquake so yeah I would be too that.
0: like I would have dined out on that when I was a kid I would have dined on that for months you know well when I was yeah early, like, yeah I,
1: my oldest like he's in first class and he said they went back and the teacher was like oh tell us about your summer and he was like and everybody was coloring and then everybody had to tell something about their summer and then I said I was in an earthquake and he was like and everybody stopped coloring and listened to me and I was like I'd say they did yeah
0: yeah, yeah that, that would have happened yeah yeah but That's, it was uh... great
1: but um they're back in school and I'm um, like I'm very excited about that and uh so are they but um It's this weird nightmare thing where I have one child. I'm sure this, any parent who's listening understands this. I've one parent in first, one child in first class. One child just started junior infants. Junior infants do a staggered start. So they don't start at 10 to nine with the rest of the school. They start at half nine and they finish at half 11. So I have a drop off at 10 to nine, a drop off at half nine, a collection at half 11 and a collection at one. Because even though my older son is going up to a quarter past two, they're staggering their times in as well. So I'm just back and forth to the school all day. It's completely absurd. Like, luckily, I'm at home. But if you had a job, I don't know what you would be doing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah.
0: And a lot of schools so like that. And so people are like,
1: oh, they're back to school. I'm like, yeah, they're not really, though. And this goes on until the 18th of September. Yeah, so It's I think not like-, like it's two days.
0: Yeah, I don't know much about primary schools, well but 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 my my wife obviously is a teacher in a in a, a post primary school, and they've they've had a an official timetable all week, but then different groups in at different times, and it's a bit chaotic for the first week or two, and seems to go on longer. Obviously, when the kids are younger as well. So, yeah, rather you than me. Anyway, have you noticed anything interesting in the news while you've been away? Because this is a podcast about the news, and I wanted to ask you because you're the very woman to ask what you made of the old Boundary Commission. Well,
1: first of all...
0: Well, it's not called the Boundary Commission anymore. It's called the Electoral Commission.
1: We'll get to that in a second. But Mm -hmm. um, I didn't really watch that much news while I was away. And then when I opened my phone a couple of days ago, I see this article um, saying that some senior consultant has come out and said that the new Children's Hospital won't see its first patient until 2030. Oh, good lord. (laughs) So... Previously on this podcast, John, we discussed how the idea was floated for a children's hospital when we were born, the year you or I were born, something like yes, that, yes. and we never got to see it. And now, because my oldest son is seven in three weeks, it, it like in seven more years, he'll be 14. So he'll be too old for the children's hospital. Yeah, it's so remarkable. It, 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 will, it will be two generations later. And also... If they're saying that now, I just—I always have this deep suspicion about kicked-out dates. That a kicked-out date like that never comes forward and, and usually goes back. Do you know yeah, what I mean?
0: It really like, is astonishing, and I mean it, it is on, uh, uh, even now today. Even though it's it's years away from opening, it is the most expensive medical facility in the history of humankind. Not in the history of Ireland, not in the history of Europe, in the history of humankind. Our our species has never. Poured more resources into a healthcare facility than into this children's hospital, and it has been going on. It was first mooted in the early 1980s. First planned in 1991. I the the Death Star didn't take this long to build.
1: Yeah, but even if you just take the project in, like as uh, as a project now, the. To me, it's just so deeply concerning that there doesn't seem to be like, first of all, there should be a very obvious face of the project. And there isn't. I know there's a Minister for Health and whatever, but there just doesn't seem to be a really obvious person. And Mm -hmm. second of all, there doesn't seem to be anybody willing to put their name or their reputation or their voice to any serious final budget figure or final date. And that is very, very worrying.
0: Say what it's brilliant for you. Imagine if you're the contractors. Brilliant, because no one's holding you. I mean, the, the, these guys have a license to print money, as far as I can see. Because there's no, there's uh, you know, and I'm not naming the contractors, and I'm not saying anything negative about them, and I'm sure they're operating to the highest standards of integrity. But if if they decided not to, there's a whole lot of people out there um, in mm. in government who are openly saying this is my project, and I'm holding people to account to make sure it's delivered on time. There's nobody. So it's a license to print money. Um, if you were so inclined, and obviously I'm not saying that the contractors involved are or would be, but from a governance also, point of view, that's obviously a risk.
1: But also, again, it's not printing money because it's our money; it's the public's money. Like it's just, mm-hmm. it, I don't really even know, like, like what you even do now with this, because you know you're kind of so far down, uh, like the line. How do you how do you turn it around? But I think if it's like if it's one point seven billion already, and it's and the first patient isn't until potentially until twenty thirty, and it's not built yet, and it's this and it's that. So
0: I people, mean, people are very vulnerable. Like, you're, you're you're familiar with sunk cost fallacy, I presume. Yeah. Yeah. So like people are very vulnerable to sunk cost fallacy, which is the idea that well we've spent one point seven billion on it now. Um, you know, we've spent that much money, we have to finish it, therefore we've spent another $3 billion. I mean, the $1.7 billion is gone, it's finished, you're never getting it back. The only question really in front of you that remains is, are we really going to spend another $3 billion to get this thing done by 2030, or will we just abandon it and do something a little bit more sensible? Uh, politicians can't abandon it, because that would be to admit that you'd wasted $1.7 billion. But if this was in the private sector, if this was um, some multinational company who was bogged down in a project like this, there would be a conversation going on in a boardroom somewhere about whether or not this project is just cursed, and we just pull the plug on it. The right that losses off as a tax loss—that's what they do. But because politics is politics, and people, you know, will never live it down to election time, um, they just have to plow on. And if it gets to 2050 and eventually opens, so be it. But they have to keep pouring money into it now, otherwise they admit they were wrong. That's yeah, like-
1: and say say, uh, but also say nothing for the kind of opportunity costs, like the, you know, the the resources, the attention, the time, like the things, other things that could have been mm-hmm. like done. I mean, by the time this is over, you'd really, really be able to, like, I think you'd be able to make a very strong case uh, against something like the Metro North where and mm-hmm. say that we're not a country that is really you know, capable unless we we're, we're hiring a kind of a project manager or skill set in from another country or or having somebody, you know, recruited from abroad to manage this, we don't have the skill set internally to do this.
0: I just You I
1: spent, just have
0: to I spent more time than usual this year abroad, um, in various cities and uh, nearly every city I, I go to at uh, Barcelona, Paris, um, um, uh, Berlin, like this year that I've been in have had underground systems, you know, or metros. And I don't usually use them, but I was in Barcelona recently, I used the metro an awful lot to go from A to B to C. And I was just thinking every time I was on it, like, how, in Ireland, we just couldn't do this. You you, you could, I mean, the Port Tunnel, if you remember the Port Tunnel, The Port. along did the Port Tunnel take? Was it 10, 15 years or something for a relatively straightforward piece of road? I don't know where you would begin with a project like the Metro North. Um, in terms of the planning objections there'd be, the the, the old cost overruns. You're right. It, it, it's just something that, I don't know how anyone could have any faith in this government or this state carrying out big infrastructure projects at the moment um, while this virus is ongoing.
1: So that's... Well, I don't know. I like, it, it, like, put it this way. I try not to think about it because, like I, I kind of, like I said, I didn't really pay that much attention to Irish news when I was abroad. There was a couple of things... That I wanted to watch actually which I'll get to in a minute um there was a couple of like long interviews um Candace Owens interviewed Andrew Tate it's like three and a half hours um I watched that and a couple of other things that I'd wanted to get to but if I thought too much about the children's hospital particularly and I hate this word but I find it kind of triggering um so I I just it's best not to think about it
0: Right, well I'm going to I'm going to go off I'm gonna go off script because we were scheduled to talk about the uh the boundaries. We will in a second. But I saw Candace Owens doing a three hour long interview with Andrew Tate and I didn't watch it and I have no intention of watching it because it's three and a half hours of my life I'm not gonna get back. But you were interested and you did watch it. What did you think?
1: So you and I have brought up the subject of Andrew Tate has come up on this podcast before, and I remember I was actually saying it to Keith afterwards, I, and I remember saying it not even worth mentioning like he's not worth talking about he's like just you know the lowest specimen of uh, like he, he's kind of the most misogynistic kind of like the most that he's a manifestation of what people i i believe lots of you know left-leaning feminists try to pretend jordan peterson is when he mm-hmm. isn't um and But I was kind of curious because I do like Candace Owens. Now, I think Candace Owens has kind of gone a bit mad on the whole anti-vaccine and like there's been a few things in the last while that she's kind of a bit, I don't know, she can be a bit mean and I don't, mm-hmm. we've discussed that as well before. I don't like people being cruel to people. But anyway, um, but anyway, I do like a lot of Candace Owens the stuff that Candace Owens talks about or whatever. And I thought this is interesting and I watched it. I, I have to say, I came away from it with a, a slightly different view of him um, okay. and I think, that, I, I think that a lot of the stuff you see is very old and she was able to kind of establish in the interview like you know like I'd seen videos of him talking about different things and he was like you know these videos are when I was 23 24 like you know I'm not going to say sorry um and actually he, he made some interesting points about that, which we can actually get to on another topic we're talking about later. But um, he said, am I embarrassed about the things I said and did? Yeah, of course I am, but I'm not going to apologise because it is what it is. And and and, and I don't believe in, in, in apologising for things that got me to where I am. And, you know, and I've grown up since. Um, I came away from it thinking that he is a guy who is, I still think he's very angry. And I think that he's like he talks a lot about his upbringing and his dad and there's a lot going on there, I think, but Mm -hmm. I think he's a guy who has basically what I would say is he has the foundation of some interesting ideas about things, but he hasn't done the work yet and thinking them through enough, but he might get there. And one thing that I thought was that I, that I thought was interesting in that I did come away from the interview with a sense that he does understand that he has quite a lot of following of young males and he does take that responsibility quite seriously. So I think he's 34, whatever he is. I think he's bright. I think he's quite immature in a lot of the things he thinks. But I think that there's some semblance there of a person who might develop, like he's capable of changing his thinking about things. He's capable of developing a deeper understanding of things. a bit of work thinking, he could get to be, you know, have some quite interesting ideas. He's thinking. I mean, I always say, I just hate one of the things I hate about a lot of the people who are the loudest voices on in politics these days is and on Twitter um, and on a lot of like the tougher subjects, is that they really haven't done a lot of thinking. They haven't changed mm-hmm. their mind about anything ever. They're very absolute. Like I I see such people sometimes talk about hard topics and I I almost envy their certainty. They're just so certain about everything. Mm-hmm. And they're and they've they've been right about this subject since they were 14. Well, God almighty, John, I mean, I've changed my mind about lots of things. And I think that, that and and one should and and continue to do so. I'm not talking about completely, fundamentally changing everything you think, but like really developing your understanding or your, developing your thinking takes a change of mind, a change of heart, whatever. Well, and if- so this is a guy who's doing that. And I think that that's kind of interesting to watch.
0: I, I think it's funny you said he's 34 and I'm thinking because I'm five, six years older than him. And mm. you know, I personally feel like I'm vastly more rounded adult than I was five or six years ago. And I'd say when I was 34, I considered myself, I mean, because you know what they say about men and women, like you guys, you mature quite young, you know, 24, 25, 26 years old women are like, you know, actually mature adults, whereas men, we mature at a different rate. You know, some of us, some of us get to the middle 50s and we're still learning to be adults. And that's not, that's not to infantilize us as men. I don't mean that in, a, in even a particularly jocular way. But my experience certainly has been that as you grow older, um, you, you, you just like, everything about you settles down. You become, yeah. you're a more settled person. Um,
1: But I, but I think that as you get older and like a, you know, like like, there's lots of topics that are, you know, I, I would have thought of in very black and white terms when I was in my 20s and, you know, possibly even into my early 30s that I have realized with time that, you know, like life is complicated. And for let's say, for example, extramarital affairs right? I would have been very, very black and white on that in my 20s. I would have been like, that's wrong. People who do that, they're this, they're that, whatever. And now I've had friends over the years that I've seen get themselves into situations. And I've thought, realized that like, maybe life's not as like adult relationships and marriages that are 25 years old aren't as simple as I thought they were. And it's complicated. And like, it's not really for me to, you know, like, I mean, obviously, we all judge people and you try not to, but you do and you you know, whatever. But like, I think as you get older, you develop a more of an understanding that most things aren't black and white. And the topics that we talk about, whether they're political or social or whatever, have are probably like the ones that are still talked about 10 and 15 and 20 years later are still talked about because they're hard, because they're complicated, because they're not black and white. Mm-hmm. And like, I, I see this guy and he's interesting because he's like, he's not a, he's not a conservative. I mean, he has like, he talks about this in the interview, like I didn't realize this, but he has multiple children. He didn't say how many by multiple different women. And he's like, oh, conservatives, you know, I'm not really conservative, but I'm becoming more conservative. And then he talked about being a libertarian. And and, and I thought it was so interesting because she was like, well, being libertarian, it's like, it, it, it's a out because the live and let live is, is like just a, a, a way that people is a we- is has been weaponized. It's been taken over. And now, you know, people are using that as a way to indoctrinate children and into this, that, me or you know, whatever. And like, it was just a really kind of fascinating conversation where she was saying to him, you should be a conservative. And he was saying, well, you know, I'm starting to think maybe mar- the institution of marriage, I used to say, oh, it's a load of crap and I would never get married. And he's like, and now, you know, maybe I'm starting to change my mind about it. It was just mm-hmm. it's it's too long. It's too long. And I was on I was on the flight and um, just by some absolute miracle of the gods the two of my children fell asleep for the majority of the flight home and uh so I had the time to watch it then on the plane, I downloaded it onto my phone but um it's very very long but <laughs> it is interesting and I but, and I
0: I changed yeah, I mean, my mind I, pro- but, I, have, I haven't watched it my 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 take on Tate has always been that I think he has something valuable to say about men I think he has something. I mean, there's a reason why so many yeah. young men are following him, right? There's a there's a
1: yeah.
0: a definite sense out there of sort of lost masculinity or a lost a lost role for masculinity in society. No objection to any of that stuff. Jordan Peterson also does it reasonably well. It's not really my cup of tea, but I think there's value in it. Um, but with taste, my my it, it's always been, and I don't want to sound like a white knight because I'm very far from one. But is is the way he has spoke about women in his youth for me just. I've known guys like that, and they're they're bad news that's that's my view,
1: yeah, well, I think what I took away from the and I agree with you, but I think what I took away from the interview is a sense that he might be realizing that like evolving out of that or has evolved out of that a bit, and it remains to be seen whether that's genuine or whether that's whatever, but I know what you mean, but I think and I think you're like that 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 kind of like space for you know, men to be told that it's okay to be men isn't for all men, but there is a lot of men who are really lost, and it helps them, and Jordan Peterson is the same.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's and, some men, I, I'm a man who's always, I've actually always more enjoyed the company of women than the company of men, mm-hmm. I don't know And there, the, my wife would say she's somebody who's always enjoyed the company of men more than the company of women and, but but I think there are a lot of blokes who really value sort of like what you call blokey culture, you know, going to the pub with the lads watching mm-hmm. the match stuff, which has never really been yeah. my, my, my thing um, and I think there are a lot of young guys who sort of feel like they're missing out on that kind of male only space to be man- manly in or whatever it is they do. Um, so, yeah, Well, I, yeah, I
1: think it's not I don't even think it's just the space. I think that there's just been this correlation made or somewhere along the line. This has just been or yeah, a correlation made between that's a lot of the bit like. The kind of behaviors and and the, not even behaviors, but like the things that we would have said were intrinsically male and now been interlinked with being intrinsically bad. Mm -hmm. And, 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 and so like there's, there's, you know, like there's nothing wrong with. You know, men wanting to go out and do whatever like any more than there's anything wrong with women who want like, but women who want to sit around in a circle and have a book club and drink loads of wine is now way more acceptable than a group of men who want to go out and like, you know, watch MMA fighting and drink pints. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Like, there's something it's been it's been made toxic, and I think that you know a lot of men find that difficult, and and these people like Andrew Tate and Jordan Peterson are kind of you know telling re, are offering some kind of reassurance on that and look that's not for i'm a woman that's not for me to to say but i thought it was an interesting interview i think that she's an interesting person he's an interesting person and the fact that they sit sat down together was it, it, you it, know it, definitely something for me
0: it, it ties in very closely before we move on to a conversation that connor fitzgerald and i had on this show last week in your absence um where he's got a piece up about how like what he kind of calls the medicalization of masculinity, where um, you've got all these sort of uh, female authors writing pieces like, what's wrong with men? Uh, Or how can we help our men? Or, you know, there's a... And and he says, men aren't really interested in the answer to that question. It's a conversation that's being driven almost entirely by female writers, um, particularly in the UK. But, like,
1: imagine if, imagine if, like, you know... David Quinn and a group of other male writers in the Irish Times are writing articles about what's wrong with women. Yeah. Like, what do we do? What are we to do? Right? What business like I don't know. It just there's just so much reverse like sexism. It's like an outward hostility towards men. It's just depressing.
0: Well But anyway, go on. Sam. We'll we'll come back to it. Um Let's talk a little bit because we said we would about the uh, the the electoral commission and its redrawing of the electoral boundaries. We're getting more politicians, Sarah. That's good news, but um, you think that it's bad news for some of the sitting politicians? I guess.
1: Yeah. Well, first of all, I just I like fundamentally I think th- three seaters are bad f- bad for politics. I don't think they work. Particularly well, and I think that they, and it's not just for all the, you know, because of the small, you know, but we like small parties or whatever. But like we have,
0: well, for know, those for those who don't know, right? Just, just because we have some people who don't know, like the, the the issue with three seaters is the fewer the seats, the more votes you have to get to get elected. That sounds obvious, but it's 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 really not because it's mostly a proportional system. But in a three seater. Essentially, you need 25% of the vote to be guaranteed to take a seat. And in a five-seater, you only need 12.5% of the vote to take a seat. So in a consistency with three seats, I mean, it really does hurt. And and like, you know, smaller parties complain about this, but it really does hurt smaller parties and in independents, uh, which is one of the reasons why the bigger parties, I think, love those three-seaters. Because it's But very also...
1: Easy. But also, yeah, but also, like, uh, you know, in, in the course of our, like, lifetime or our time that we've been kind of paying attention to politics, you know, we've, we've, you know, the amount of parties that are, like, reasonably, let's say, to be kind, contesting seats has grown. So mm-hmm. it's not just Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael, you know, and then maybe Labour, maybe, you know, it's Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael, Greens, La- uh, Labour, Sinn Féin, possibly People Before Profit. Yeah, and others. And so the reality of it is, is that like, and, you know, m- maybe people who are listening don't know this, but like most of the time, Fianna Gale and Fianna will run two people with absolutely no expectation whatsoever of getting a second seat purely because they need the, the transfers to push the first person over the line. Mm. But like, ultimately what you're talking about in those situations is absolutely no chance whatsoever unless they're really high profile like Eamon Ryan or whatever of a green potentially a labor person or you know a people before profit or whatever getting elected. And I th- I think that like you know lots of constituencies, you know, like I, I just I I think it's bad for politics. Three seaters, apart from the numbers, they're just they're they're clunky and they they they're bad for politics. And what it means is that like parties will barely bother contesting in mm-hmm. those constituencies. And what that ends up meaning for people locally is, and like, I think it's well established on this uh, podcast that so I'm not a green voter, but I'm just using the Greens as an example of, you know, potentially a constituency ending up with no representation whatsoever on the Greens or whatever it might be, because a three-seater just is never, ever, ever going to happen for yep. um, So, Personally, I think three-seaters... So I live in a constituency which used to be called Fingal and is now called Fingal West and Fingal East or some such nonsense, which has gone from a five-seater to two, three-seaters. And, like, I think that that is terrible news for some of the incumbent people. And there's other constituencies where the same thing has happened. And, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people like, in especially in, in a constituency that Fingal used to be, and fine, like, Fingal is extremely big. For people who don't know, it goes, it's Malahide, it's Fort Marnock, but it's Rush and, or it was, Rush and Scaries and Donabate, goes all the way up into the North County. It's huge. So I can appreciate that it needed to be changed or whatever, but a lot of people get elected based on the fact that they feature in all of the boxes across the entire constituency, mm-hmm. and with the constituencies being split, they're in trouble, and um, you know, like our, um, like the our local Fianna Fáil, Dara O'Brien, he's very, very, very popular in Malahide, so he'll stick in that side of the constituency, and I don't think he'll have any problem getting elected in a three-seater. But you know, Duncan Smith from Labour, for example, who again, like, very established. I'm not a Labour voter, but. I like Duncan very much. I think he's, he's a, a very a, good TD. Yeah, he's a he's a he's a um, great
0: constituency worker, you fair, Duncan Smith. He's a
1: very very good constituency worker. He's very bright. He's a, he's like everything like that a Labour like politician needs to be to get elected. I think it, like especially in a constituency like this. He's young. He's a family guy. He's from the area. He's of the area. He works very hard on the ground. You he's sound like really you sound like you're writing his
0: obituary though. You think he's in trouble? Is what you're saying?
1: Uh, I'm not writing his obituary. I would hate to see him lose a seat, uh, honestly, because I think he's a good politician. I think he's wrong about literally every single thing he thinks, but that's I've, fine.
0: I have a sneaky but, feeling. But but I, Duncan, if you're listening, I have a sneaky feeling you're in with a shot of a transfer here. A but anyway, I've been mourning it's myself. Bad news for him. I've been mourning myself, well, Sarah, because my my I've been deprived I've of shorn I've been, My TD has been ripped from my loving arms Poor Matty McGrath. He shall no longer have my vote because he is now in Tipperary South and I am in Tipperary North riding. Um, I have no idea uh, who I'll vote for here. Didn't have to think about oh it before. My God. Just, uh, Matty number one. That was all I had to do. Now I'm going to have to research them, figure out if there's somebody acceptable to vote for. It's terrible.
1: Sorry. Here I am talking about Duncan. I didn't realize there was a real tragedy happening. Exactly. As a result. It's like... It's like some kind of romantic end to a beautiful it, political love story.
0: It is. It's terrible. I, you know. It's it, I, I'd say that's something. I. I. And I. I. Sometimes people think when I talk about voting for Matty McGrath that I'm in some way mocking him or making a joke of it. I'm absolutely not. I voted for him proudly, and I would vote for him proudly again the next time. Not because. And I say this. I. Not because I have any. Belief that he's the world's greatest legislator or anything like that, but I vote for him because he doesn't give a feck what people think of him, and he says what he thinks on the topics yeah. of the day, and he's he's not he's not he's not interested in you know getting approval from the right kind of people. That's why I voted for him, um because like he's 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 got an attitude that I think everyone should aspire to have in terms of just be yourself. You know, say what you think and let the chips fall where they may. That's why I've always I I I voted for him, and that's why I'm sorry I won't have a chance to do it the next time. So hopefully there's somebody else.
1: Uh, I I like Matty as well. I always have. I think he's straight. Like he thinks what he thinks, and yeah. Like, by the way, shouldn't...
0: I disagree with him half the time. Like, and sometimes sometimes he he goes that's a bit too fine. far on issues on issues for my taste. But I, but that's I don't care. Fine.
1: Like yeah. yeah yeah that's fine. Like but but. Uh, like he 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 has he has a particular viewpoint on things, and he says it, and mm-hmm. like that shouldn't be the exception. But unfortunately, it is. And mm-hmm. um, but he's not in any like obviously not in any electoral trouble there, is he? He's just no, he should be fine. He should be balance. fine.
0: I think I think I was like the only vote he got in North Tipperary the last time. His his base is very much in the south of the county. Obviously, I wasn't the only one, but like I, I think in in my local box. I was lucky because I think I, I, I promised him I said, you're getting two votes in our local box. And I think he got two votes in our local box. So like, if we hadn't shown up on the day, he wouldn't know.
1: Oh, that's happened to me. And uh, yeah, yeah. I'm not actually gonna, I'm not, I'll tell you that all, all after the podcast. Um, but, uh, no, I don't, I don't think it's like, I think the electoral commission and the way they've carved it up there or whatever they're called, uh, is not great for the likes of Duncan Smith. I think he could hang in there. I'd I'd have to look at the numbers like in more detail, but it's not great and it's not particularly fair. And I think that there's a lot of people who will, um, you know, suffer as a result. And you know, I don't know. I don't know like overall. I think that the next time there's an election you'll you'll really see like what kind of impact like there's no way of calling it until it's actually you know happened but i think that there's a lot of kind of poking and prodding going around along like this is just another iteration of people sticking their oar into things
0: we'll see the flip side is um there are going to be more tds It's going from 165 to i think 179 so there's 14 extra seats so like, mm. you would think the parties would be able to jiggle things around so that everyone who's currently a sitting TD gets a constituency to run in if they have a fair chance. I mean, obviously, that won't be possible in all cases. But, I mean, that that that, that does balance it out a little bit. 14 extra seats in the next all are up for grabs. So there's going to be some very ambitious county councillors, at least in various parts of the country, thinking that they're quids in, particularly if they're in North Wexford or South Wicklow, which has become the country... But it won't matter because... These. But they
1: are that all. All the parties are in serious trouble when it comes to finding women. So, um, you know that's going to be the main, like, like I can see certain situations where there is. I can name a couple actually, uh, where there are sitting councillors who have been there for a long time who have really, really, who are men who have a good chance. Mm-hmm. And um,
0: well, if you are well, one of those remember. ambitious men and you're listening to this podcast, my advice is. Hoddle yourself down now to the births, deaths, and marriages offices. You wouldn't ask for what's called a gender recognition form. <laughs> Change yourself over. Become legally a woman. It's just a stroke of the pen. That's all you need to do, and you'll be top of the ticket.
1: Someone's going to do that, John.
0: They, they, I, I have privately advised several smaller parties to do it, just for the publicity. Um, I, you know, I, I, Obviously it's a big thing to ask anyone to do, but I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those things where it would of course be in full compliance with the law. I mean, it would make a mockery of the law, but it would also be in full compliance with the law if, if they were to say, well, actually we've got five women now who were previously men until yesterday. I mean, cause, but maybe, be... but
1: maybe you need to like, sometimes you need to make a mockery of the law to like prove mm-hmm. a point. Do you know what I mean? Like, I mean, and also it, it it's not really doing anything big if you don't, Believe
0: it. If you know what I mean, like mm-hmm. it's like people, yeah, I mean, you're fully free if, to. want to... Yeah, you're free to come out and say I'm still a man. I believe I'm a man, but the law says I get you know a better chance of uh, being allowed to be a candidate if I'm a woman. So therefore, I'm a woman. I mean, like it's you know you, nobody. You're obviously not changing who you are. That's the whole point. Um, simply changing your legal recognition. Anyway, I get <laughs> I get flayed for that.
1: Yeah. Oh, well, on to, on to another subject then, Roisin Murphy. Will you apologise when you get flayed with that?
0: I will not. Um, yeah. the, the the Roisin Murphy story this week, I, I actually thought it was... Re- I, I saw something this morning. These stories don't normally make me angry. This one made me angry. Not that Roisin Murphy said what she said. And by the way, if you don't know, if you lived under a rock, Roisin Murphy, joint lead singer with Maloko, um... She sang a song, I um, suppose well Sing It Back, it was sort of a dance hit. I can't sing, Sarah. so if you look up Sing It Back on YouTube, you'll know who I'm talking about. Um, she was, you know, and, and but, but apart from that, she's also a 50-year-old mammy these days, and she's on Facebook, like a lot of 50-year-old mammies, and she commented on somebody's post on Facebook about puberty blockers, and she said, puberty blockers are fucked. Um, that's the word she used. She said they're messing with vulnerable kids, and they shouldn't be allowed to happen. And this went nuclear. It was picked up by a guy called Aidan Comerford, who's a really demented guy on the internet somewhere. All he does all day is post about trans issues, even though I don't think he's trans himself. I don't know what's in with him, what's what's up with him. Um, And of course, this drew an international mob down on her head because she's in the arts. And the poor woman issued a groveling apology. And said that she wouldn't speak on the issue ever again. But that's not what made me angry, Sarah. What made me angry was her record label announced this morning that they would no longer promote her new album and all proceeds from the sales of her new album will be donated, or at least their share will be donated to trans rights charities. And I just thought, how dare you? How how dare you treat somebody who you have a duty of care to like that? Um, Like It's an absolute outrage as far as I'm concerned, that that, that you, you sign a contract with a company, they have a duty of care to you. Like, how how dare they treat you like that? All she did was air a perfectly legal opinion that's shared by a majority of the population.
1: The level of cowardice is just...
0: On her behalf or theirs?
1: On, on theirs. It's just... It's really depressing because there was a while there, I think I said it on the podcast, where I thought... I felt like things were changing, you know, that there was a kind of a shift and seeing that would make you think like it's, 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 it's 1984 stuff, John, like, like she said that puberty blockers shouldn't be used on little kids. Mm -hmm. Like I genuinely believe that the majority of people agree with that. Puberty blockers, like not like, I don't want to get too much into the detail, but like if you give puberty blockers to a little boy and then he changes his mind later, which by the way, they do, his life is ruined. I'm not going to get into the details of why. But uh, well, his voice will never develop. Like there are
0: other bits of him that will never develop either. He'll have a micro penis for the rest of his life. Yeah. Like that's yeah. just, just to spell it out for people. You know, if, if, you, if you give them to a girl, she will be infertile for the rest of her life. She, she, her her sexual organs will never develop properly as they should. I mean, you're condemning and, people uh, to a lifetime of misery. And by the way, if they complete the transition, let nobody pretend that like living in a body surgically altered to the opposite sex is a is a is a is a day at the beach. It's not like it's it's a horrible thing that you're doing, to people.
1: And it's and also we have absolutely no idea of. The medical like people, you know, people talk about the health implications of the COVID vaccine. Like we have no no idea what the long term potential, like, let's say for argument's sake, maybe puberty your puberty being blocked like that, that kind of hormonal thing could cause anything we could find out in 20 years. Cancer, I don't know. Never mind the psychological damage. Like there are entire groups dedicated to people who detransition who don't want to, to do this anymore. Like so, if people want to do what they want to do when they're adults, okay, we can talk about that. But under eighteen, and oh, if you let them, like they 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 market it like it's either a choice between these children killing themselves or getting the puberty blockers, and that is not true. Yeah.
0: And by the and, way, when you say when you say under eighteen, you're 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 underselling it because like that's sixteen, seventeen, you're past puberty. These things are being given in many jurisdictions to kids ten, eleven, twelve. That's where they're being used. Like and those kids are being asked to make a decision at that stage about stuff they they can't possibly conceive of. I mean, no 12 year old can possibly understand the implications of you'll never be able to have kids. there are there are grown adult people of my own age and your age, Sarah, who get to our age and that maybe like me, they haven't had kids and they they suddenly realize, oh my God, I've missed out on such an important part of life. And we're asking kids to make that decision at 12 years old and giving them drugs that make it irreversible and calling it healthcare. I mean, I don't curse on this podcast, but I mean, it it infuriates me and it should infuriate everybody, I think. And then the one woman who said, well, no, she's not the one woman, but a woman who on her private Facebook page makes this comment, has it dug up by a creep. And then her community, the arts community, turns on her and she's forced to recant I mean, 1984 doesn't do it justice. It's through the the looking glass stuff.
1: I think, though, that was what I was saying earlier on about Andrew Tate, and it was interesting, like, I really agreed with him on this, even though I've seen the videos that he's talking about women or whatever, and, you know, but his... Not getting into the detail of that, but his entire description of, like, not saying sorry was a good one. Like, I think that she should not apologize. She should not apologize for saying something that lots of people think. And even if it was only what she thought there, she's reinforcing the idea that people can be bullied into submission, that their lives can be ruined, that their career can be canceled if -hmm. they say the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. They're, they're so incensed still that they couldn't do that to JK Rowling because she's too rich and too powerful.
0: Yeah, like and they,
1: they they can't stand that she's untouchable and fair play to her for not for standing her ground and saying, no, no I'm not going to. And people have these ideas of like, you know, oh, well, like, you know, I they, like they think they're on the right side of everything or whatever. But like and they talk, people talk about it's very popular now to talk about bullying, like all the LGBT thing and all and, and trans and anti-bullying. They're bullies. This is bully. They've bullied this woman into silence. That's what they want. This is bullying. It's um, and she should not apologize. And I, look, I don't know her, you know, but her career, her life situation, whatever. But like, I just think like never, like just people need to just well, this is this, stand strong and just stop saying sorry to this. This is why if I'm you so have the belief that it's wrong to give puberty blockers to children, which I do. You say it, and you don't say sorry.
0: This is why I I'm so annoyed about their record about the record company dropping her. Doing whatever it did, because why did she apologize? I suspect, I, I do not know this, but I, I, I would, I would suggest that something like this may have happened. That somebody may have phoned her and said, "This is really bad. You know, we've got a new record coming out. We, you know, we need this. Made this controversy go away. You need to apologize." And so she did. And then, as soon as you apologize, you're, you're done for. This is this is the worst thing. Apologies now are surrenders. They're not apologies. They're not I am genuinely yeah. sorry. It is raising the white yeah. flag because you're immediately cut off from all the people who who actually supported you. Because you can't accept their support anymore, otherwise your apology wasn't genuine. You are also vulnerable to all those people who say that your apology wasn't good enough, or you know, if you were really apologetic, you'd say something else, or maybe you need to go for re-education. And thirdly, it's admission of liability, so your record company, can, <laughs> yeah, okay. your, your admission, your your record company can turn around and say, well, actually, you know what? No, we we can't deal with you anymore now that you've apologised. Even if somebody had said to her, well, you need to apologise or else the record company will dump you. It's 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 such a strategic error these days to apologise, which is a terrible place to be in in the world. But it, it, it's just a terrible mistake. Um, if you believe... But
1: it comes back to that point as well that we were talking about earlier on, which is that, like, you know, like, often, this isn't the case, this is a recent thing, but often people are being expected to apologise about things they might have said a long time ago, and that was the point that Andrew Tate was saying, that, like, we shouldn't like reinforce this idea that you should issue groveling apologies for things that you said when you were 24. Because Mm -hmm. like evolving your thinking is uh, like you shouldn't be cancelled for growing. You know what I mean? You shouldn't be like, like you shouldn't have your whole life ruined because you evolved your thinking from 10 years ago. But like, this is what they want.
0: I can speak of personal experience. And Paddy Cosgrave tried to do this to me two years ago um, on Christmas Eve when he like, dug up a whole load of tweets from twenty eight, 2008, 2009, 2012, like out of context, you know, no surrounding, these were all parts of conversations that said, you know, you said X, Y, and Z. And I, I refuse to apologize. I've never apologized because, number one, most of them were harmless. Number two, the ones that looked like they weren't harmless were actually harmless if you read them in context. And number three, it wasn't an intention, there was no intention to make me into a better person. The intention was to destroy somebody who disagrees with you. Um, and, yeah. and that's, that's the case. That's what happens. Um, so, you know, I, I feel, I feel so sorry for this woman because do you know what the difference is? I mean, I am a, an activist and a commentator and I am in the arena to some extent. This woman was commenting on her private Facebook page and she was taken aback by a storm and the support didn't really get to her quick enough. That's what happened. I mean, if, uh, if there had been people who had been able to speak to her sooner, I don't think she would have apologized. But unfortunately, she made this mistake, and now she's going to have to live with it. And the apology is going to be much more damaging for her than the thing that she said. That's the reality. Mm. The shame. It is.
1: And then the ne- and then the next person who's you know has uh, is in any kind of vulnerable position, career wise, about to release a book, about to release whatever, will will be too afraid to say anything. That's mm-hmm. that's what it's designed to do. She's gone. It doesn't it's not about her anymore. Yeah, it's, it's about sure the next person. There. Yeah, like, and it's it's first of all, it's bullying, but it's it is uh, like the stuff of of nineteen eighty four. It's just like, and that, and now you know, moving moving on, we have this fabulous new uh, organization there, state organization that will tell us that will protect our right to not be misinformed to by people like Roti Murphy, So she'll probably go to jail.
0: (laughs) Well, we come to that in a second. But before we do, I just wanted to say, I mean, it's precisely what you're talking about has happened in the Irish media over the last five, 10 years. Like George Hook is gone. Kevin Myers is gone. Vincent Brown is gone. Now, Vincent retired. He wasn't cancelled. But the, the message went out, clearly, if you step out of line, that's it. You're gone. And now we have the most boring commentary out we've had in my lifetime. Like, the, there's, they're, yeah. they're very, there's basically no interesting or distinctive voices. I mean, Fint O'Toole thinks he is, but he's been blathering the same stuff since 1982. So he, he ate that special. Uh, but there's there's no distinctive voices, because they've all been extinguished by the fear that's been inculcated into them, um, and which the Electoral Commission, back to one of my famous transitions, back to what you're saying, the Electoral Commission wants to keep us a little bit afraid, because they've been given the powers, as I think you were about to mention, to uh, shut people up in election times if they engage in misinformation.
1: What I think is fascinating about that is that will that apply to um, political manifesto?
0: But like, because Gael saying they'd abolish the USC, that sort of stuff.
1: Well, yeah, all of them. Like, how does one quantify? Like, so how would this commission, like, if if a party writes a manifesto where they promise to do X y and Z once entering government and then they do and they spend three weeks negotiating the program for government and then when the program for government is released the program for government doesn't feature X y and Z are they subject then to a like surely they then can can be accused of misinforming the public
0: No, nah, well that's not the intent you know, I mean this is the, this is the thing I mean you to ask why why oh, laws intent, are passed, intent? Yeah, I know. I I, Look, I'd love it. I mean, like, we all remember the Labour Party's Every Little Hurts Tesco ad. Remember? If you elect us, we will stop these, like, I can't remember what they were, but there were like six things, we'll stop them. And then every single one of them was implemented by them in government. They said they'd stop. (laughs) It was, and they've They never recovered from it. So, I mean, uh, there's already a penalty for that kind of misinformation and there should be. But no, the intention of this, I mean, this is directed at stuff like um, immigration and you know stuff that stuff that not the politicians don't want to talk about it's it's intended it, like i think it's explicitly intended to cool down those kind of conversations it all comes back to brexit and trump right this is when misinformation was never a thing in our politics until we got brexit and trump And the people voted the wrong way and therefore they could only vote the wrong way because they were desperately misinformed therefore we must make sure they are never misinformed again but the objective of them not being misinformed is to make sure they never vote for anything like brexit or trump so the the misinformation is defined in the minds of the political establishment as things that might make make you vote for a brexit or trumpy character that's what that's what it means that's the definition the working definition it's not it's not stuff like Paul Murphy saying if we nationalise the banks and tell everyone tax everyone nine percent, it'll be a land of milk and honey. That's just political argument. Misinformation is um make Ireland great again. That's misinformation. That's that, that I, I think that's the that's that's not how it's defined in the dictionary, or I'm sure officially, but that's that's the intent. Am I wrong? But yeah,
1: okay, fine. But like You know, misinformation during COVID. Lots of it turned out to be true. Well, this is it. So, like, who? So, you know, this random group of people have been selected to sit on a committee to decide what is and isn't misinformation. Well, you say random. Like, well, we'll we'll get to that in a sec. But like, but this isn't the, the the. I'm not talking about you know, looking at the profiles of these people and thinking that they politically, you know, do or don't disagree with my views on immigration or whatever. I'm saying that even the most, the people that I think are the most in line with my views might select something as being misinformation today that turns out to be correct information later or vice versa. You know what I mean? Like, there's nobody who can say for certainty, you know, anything. Like, the, the, the making those kind of decisions is absurd for anyone to be doing and yes it's part of things like immigration or whatever but it's also part of you know or will you know and like i'll try not to be too cynical that it's you know because you and i have talked before about how you know there's people who have conspiracy theories and that ultimately where we fall where we you know where we fall away from that kind of thinking is that we don't think that most of the politicians we know are organized enough or can hold like can hold their mm-hmm. um, water long enough to keep something like that a secret, that they, you know, they can't... We're at 1.73, you know, billion into a children's hospital. I just don't think that they have the, you know, ability to or- mass organize some sort of universal, you know, conspiracy theory or conspiracy to overthrow mm-hmm. or to introduce whatever, whatever. So, like... Yeah, like this. You know, I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist here, but like, it's very hard not to suspect from looking at this. This is also designed to shut down debate about things that aren't in line with an overall agenda for what Ireland should, what certain people want Ireland to look like ten years from now, ideologically, socially, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, uh, and completely. Like, you know, not just not just because they're afraid that some far-right extremists might get elected to Europe or something like that, but also just because they don't want the hassle of people giving out about, mm. you know, like, the transgender agenda being taught in schools.
0: Well, I think the bottom line is, like, Pat Leahy had a piece this week about how they're, they're not holding the referendum now on the on the women in the home referendum because they're afraid. And I mean, this is a quote from Pat Leahy's piece, that they'd be asked hard questions like how to define family or woman. I mean, <laughs> uh, that's true. And so Ben Scallen went along and asked one of them this week. You know, how oh, do you I, saw it? That. I saw how, that. I yeah. heard you find one. Like, yeah. oh, it's not relevant. I mean, yeah, I, I think what it is is that they're afraid of these topics because they don't have answers to the questions. It's not because they think they're extremists; it's that they're afraid of? They know there's no logical answers to the question, so it's best not to have the question. But anyway, but the, it,
1: it was Catherine Martin, wasn't it? it Catherine, was Catherine Martin, Martin. Uh, uh, as a woman, a minister a woman, for her to say that the definition of a woman is not relevant to a referendum. On womanhood. On womanhood, but also even if it wasn't. The definition of a woman is relevant for everything. Like, the fact that she could say that is just mind-boggling. This is a woman who's in government, a minister in our government. She doesn't think the definition of what a woman is is relevant.
0: The funny like, thing how does is, that work? I mean, the question ain't going to go away. I'm going to keep getting Ben to ask it periodically in the run of the election because, I mean, they can keep trying to run from that question but, you know, it's so funny the way they can't answer it. We're, we're running short on time, Sarah, but before we go, I wanted to address something that the, the chairperson of the commission said this week, who's Miss Justice Marie Baker, who's a sitting and serving member of the Supreme Court, who said, in relation to all of this, quote, we're also going to have to learn how to deal with the balance between the right to freedom of expression on the one hand, and on the other hand, the right of persons not to be misinformed. We're going to have to balance those two rights. End quote. Only one of those is a right, Sarah. There's a yes. right to freedom of expression in the Constitution. There's no right not to be misinformed. So she's balancing one of our constitutional rights against something that she appears to have thought up on a Tuesday morning. A right not to be misinformed. I mean, what? What? where where do you begin with that? I mean, like, if they start suggesting that there's a right not to be misinformed, then what's the, then that's really dangerous territory. So,
1: John, you're misinformed all the time. I mean, advertising is misinformed. Burger King burgers don't look like that when you get them. Like, everything is misinformation. Like, you know, to a degree. And so, somebody deciding what is and isn't appropriate is troubling to say the least and it's not a right do you know what I mean like
0: I should remind listeners. I should people. remind this
1: single friends like the yeah. entire single scene is based on misinformation from what I hear like do you know what I mean like everything is misinformation
0: I have to right say now that to be misinformed back when I was uh, back when I was um single and used to very occasionally be on dating sites I rarely answered that kind of body type question accurately I think <laughs> I was always kind of like you know a li- like you know they always had these really nice kind of you know like they'd be slim fit and then they'd be kind of like cuddly, Husky. and they'd be like yeah. big you know I was always kind of like well I can't say fit cuddly sounds a bit weird <laughs> so, yeah you know, well i so, so.
1: I was actually never on a dating website but I've met men in person so which which this makes this even all the more audacious but uh I'm five foot ten. And you would be astounded at the amount of men who are five foot nine who tell you they're six foot. Oh yeah. Astounded. Yeah, like I men know. lie. Mess, men misinform. And I've seen it from through friends of mine on dating websites. They lie about their height. And then I then I'd meet them and they'd be like, Whoa, you must be like six foot three. And I'm like, No, you're just five foot nine. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? So like People misinform all the time. You don't have a right to not be misinformed. You have a, you have, you should, you ought to seek out information to inform yourself correctly. But you don't have a right to not be misinformed.
0: Yes, and it's, it's I think it's demeaning to our democracy to suggest that people do. And also, the worst thing about it is, like when you step back and look what's happening here, it's essentially putting guardrails around the democ- dem- democratic process to narrow the number of potential outcomes. To basically say that, yes, you can have your democracy, but only if we can tell you what the information is and you make appropriate decisions based on information that we've provided to you. And that way we can be fairly sure we won't have a Trump, we won't have a Brexit, we won't have any of that unpleasant foreign stuff. That That's the intent. But,
1: but then on the other hand, John, there, uh, there was all this, I saw the, all this pearl clutching the other day because Elon Musk was, there was a suggestion that Elon Musk was asking, he was asking about when it's our next election that he might intervene. A newsflash. Does anybody actually think that previous inter- elections or referenda that we've had haven't been interfered with by like by by the media or whatever? Like with 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 the with the slanted view. Ha! In your dreams. Like honest to God, do you honestly think there hasn't been interference with people who had an agenda? Get a grip of yourself. Second of all, what Elon Musk is or isn't suggesting. All he was doing was asking. But even if he was suggesting that Twitter would somehow get involved, they're just doing the opposite with this. That's what
0: they're doing. And, and what's more, by the way, g- don't give me a break with these people being concerned with Elon Musk intervening. They, li- it would live for it. They would, they- there's nothing <laughs> the likes of Micheál Martin <laughs> would like better than to stand up and give us a national <laughs> sermon about how important it was that we were an independent democracy and Mr. Musk might have all the money in the world, but we'll make yeah. our own decision. You know, like, they yeah, would yeah. love that. Yeah. Like, that bit of kind of grandstanding bullshit, they live for Uh, And
1: Catherine Martin could stand up again and say, this is just shows how important it is that we have an independent broadcaster like RT by flip flops and do nonsense. Yeah, like like the whole like, honestly, it's it's like it more often than not these days, John, it's like parody. It is. is, It's like it's like a joke.
0: It is well. We have to leave it there because we've run over an hour. But like, and and just to think, it's the last week of August. There hasn't been a whole lot of news. Imagine how much we have to talk about next week when there actually might be news. But it's been yeah. it's a pleasure. I feel whole again having you back, Sarah. It's a long three weeks. Um, glad oh, to be back.
1: That's very nice.
0: Don't leave me nice. again. I won't. Okay. <laughs> Never <laughs> leave. <laughs> All right, listen. Thank you very much for listening, folks. Um, it's a pleasure as always to be with you. Thank you so much for the feedback. Uh, I should say that uh, my sister-in-law Nicole, who's an uh, an avid listener to this show, uh, was bereft at your absence, Sarah, and told told me to tell you that it was barely worth listening to without you. So there you go. Oh, thanks, yeah, Nicole. Yeah, I'm not sure that was a that was a that was a compliment for you or having a cut at me, but I just thought i I'd, I'd mention it. I'll take uh, it. I'll take uh, it. All right, listen, thank you, everybody, from Sarah. And from me, that was, once again, the week that really was. We'll see you this time next week.